This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's a brand new week of Talkback this morning on this Monday, January 20, uh, the 22nd, 22nd, sorry. Uh, Talkback this morning is brought to you by Y West Storage, located out of the Y on uh, Two Smokes Way. For pricing and availability, you need a storage place. Give them a call, 406-510-0590, because of Y West, they're making room for you. Phillips Janitorial, residential and commercial cleaning, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. No job is too big or too small, so please call them, 406-260-6617. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold or warm it's going to get, Gomer says everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service in Missoula, Palmer and West Broadway, and by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, welcome everyone. Good to have you along this morning. Want to say good morning to my compatriot over there, Mr. Nick Christensen. Good morning, Mr. Nick. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. All right. Joining us here in the studio this morning, we have uh, Dr. Peter Kolb, MSU Extension and University of Montana School of Forestry, and Sandy Perrin, who is uh, with the Department of Ecology and Extension at uh, Missoula County and the Plant Clinic. So how are you both? Doing great. All right. Dr. Kolb, how are you, sir? Just fine, thank you. All right. Now, bef- uh, by the way, the phone lines are open. I, I know this is this is one of the uh, most popular things we do uh, to have uh, to have Peter and Sandy here uh, to talk about all sorts of things, uh, what it has to do with plants and, and trees and that sort of thing. So a lot of folks have questions. Here we are kind of in, in this middling ground where it's winter. People are evaluating what they're going to do in the spring and in the summer. And so, uh, but I know, Dr. Kolb, you were very concerned concerned about what happened with that bitter cold snap we had, especially up in the Hamilton area. Right. Well, I mean, minus 40 degrees is kind of a magic number. That's when things start to die from from cold stress. Um, And of course, Hamilton hit a new record cold at minus 45. Wow. So the Bitterroot is known as a more a milder place, and it's uh, one of the locations in Montana where apricots and even peaches, uh, sweet cherries will grow. And those are species that don't tolerate that kind of extreme cold temperature. So right around minus 20, they start to die, uh, even if they're fully hardened off. And this cold snap came in the middle of winter, which is a good thing. That's when everything is at its hardiest, uh, hopefully. Uh, but I expect next spring to see a fair amount of mortality in the apricots, the peaches, the sweet cherries, um, some of the ornamentals that are just uh, on the fringe. So um, in the spring, I always wait uh, till the tree is fully leafed out to see it. But don't expect or don't be surprised when you see some dieback on uh, some of the uh, or more ornamental and warmer climate uh, species that are growing out there. So the folks in the Bitterroot wouldn't necessarily see anything now. Obviously, no. yeah, everything's dormant, right? So Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing is that uh, in that extreme cold, any tree that has any kind of uh, heart rot or decay in it, it's usually saturated with water, uh, that'll freeze in that extreme cold and it will uh, split trees uh, apart. Uh, where I grew up in Wisconsin in these super cold snaps, uh, the forest sounded like a war going on because when those trees split, it would be like a gunshot going off. 
Uh, so, you know, if you heard any of those loud pops and cracks in the middle of the night, uh, it might have been your house adjusting to the cold because wood and brick shrinks and swells with mm-hmm. temperature as well. Or it might have been the tree outside. And so um, if you see some splits in trees, that's uh, from the extreme cold. Now, how about here in Missoula? We get, we got down to, you know, 20, more than 20 below zero. Yeah, again, that's, uh, you know, that's right on that breaking point between uh, zone four and zone three hardiness. Uh, so I wouldn't expect to see anything out of the unusual because last year we got to 28 below. And so if that didn't uh, give you an indication of whether your trees are going to make it or not, uh, we didn't quite reach that. I think it was 22 below, 23 below. Uh, so I wouldn't expect to see anything different this year from last year, uh, with the exception is we don't have a big snowpack. And so the frost got into the ground a lot deeper than in previous years. And that's probably going to affect more of the, the, the shrubs and ornamentals, which I'll turn that over to Sandy to talk about. Tell you what, we'll do that when we, we're up against the break. Sorry. Sandy's like, oh, no, <laughs> it's my turn. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk with Sandy about that uh, when we come back. Also, the phone lines are all open. If you have a question for Dr. Peter Cove at Sandy Perrin, that's why they're here is to answer your questions this morning at 721-1290 or 1-800-568-530. We're also encourage you to use the KGVO app, and that way you can message us with your question, and we'll pass that along to our guests. So we're coming right back. We'll get, let's get those phones busy right after this. You want the best naked. I'm Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. Mostly cloudy as we enter a week of warmer and generally drier weather in the northern Rockies. We'll have occasional chances of snow showers or freezing rain, the first being overnight into early Tuesday. But with highs around 40 and lows in the upper 20s, there's little or no accumulation from any of those snow showers expected. Most of Tuesday and Wednesday will be cloudy and dry with another slight chance of showers on Thursday, probably a little sun by Friday. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It is hour number one of Talk Back this morning. I'm Peter Christian, Nick Christensen, over there taking your phone calls and looking for phone calls this morning for Dr. Peter Kolb and for Sandy Perrin. Now, uh, Dr. Kolb had a chance to talk about some of the uh, the effects that he's expecting in the bitterroots. So how about you, Sandy? Uh, I, obviously, you had mentioned the January pretty quiet around the plant clinic. Yeah, typically there's not a lot going on. People aren't quite getting into that planning stage yet for their garden, but there were a little bit of nervousness right before we had that cold snap as what do I do to help protect some things, things like some maybe more tender evergreen shrubs. Some folks have some rhododendrons out there and things like that that maybe they didn't do any protection for or possibly even some hybrid tea roses that they hadn't covered very well. There's a lot of things like, you know, since with the zoning increase that we see this last year that came out that says we're a solid five now, but a lot of those solid five perennials may um, have had some damage from this cold temperatures because we did not have any snow to protect them. Right. Now, would you mind just uh, for those who are, uh, even though my middle name is Gardner, <laughs> I'm completely ignorant. What are the zones and what do they mean? And, and where are we here in West? We, uh, you just mentioned we're a five now. Well, yeah, typically the whole valley, there's five A's and five B's and it can it's to do with the minus temperatures, how low they predict that to go. And I think zone five is minus 20 and as you go to zone four, it's minus 20. 25 things like keeps on going lower and lower as you go okay. um, and we always encourage folks to maybe when they go to plant plant 
trees and shrubs is even though you're a five, we have a lot of temperature variations here in these swings, like going down to minus 35. So if he planted his own five tree, that would have probably taken care of it, unfortunately. So sometimes it's still better to pick out zone four species, even though we're considered five. It may last for two to three years, but then you get a cold snap like this that will damage it. And obviously you go... You grow peach trees for the fruit, not for the beauty of the tree. Mm-hmm, right. So you would have definitely lost your flower blossoms along with the fact that you might have got some branch dieback as right. well. Now, if you do have a peach tree, is, is there any, uh, when would you be able to determine uh, the damage and how, how would you mitigate that damage? Would you like prune back or how, how does that work? Well, you probably won't notice it really till they seem like they have like one push to do and they push that their foliage out a lot of times or maybe not they struggle some maybe it's just going to be the outer foot or so that is not coming out maybe the the more toward the center of the tree sometimes it depends on the age of the tree as well how well established hardened off it was so it may not be till you know late spring early summer before you notice that total damage a lot of times we start seeing like peter said the splitting of the Mm -hmm. the bark and oozing of of uh sap which usually if it's it starts a lot of fungal cankers get started that way that you notice and there's more of an amber colored sap versus some something that's just clear so you can kind of that's an indication and you just have to wait and see how far the dieback of that and the damage of that is if it's on the main trunk then not a good not a good sign so what kind of questions are people asking you now or or they just kind of uh, just putting their feet up and re- reading the catalogs or what? I think they're just mostly checking to see what, what new varieties are coming out this year and checking their seed catalogs, thinking about what they need to order, get, getting things like that. Because typically not much seed starting should be going on in January. That's what? that's usually uh, the very start of its next month into February. What kind of world is that? I mean, uh, I, I mean, obviously there are seed catalogs and seed catalogs, or is everybody fairly reputable, or which ones uh, are, are best for this this part of the country? There are some actually. There is a local company, Triple Divide Seeds, that has a lot of seed growers up in the Mission Valley in western Montana. So that's a great local company that those seeds are acclimated mm-hmm. to this area. Their seeds from a lot of different companies come from all over the place. A lot of people are growing for different seed companies in in northern climates, so they can be all over the place in that. It's really what variety works for you, what flavors work for you mm-hmm. more than anything. And, and for those who are just starting, the best place to start is to come and visit with you guys. Exactly. We right. have a lot of things uh, as far as mont guides and handouts that talk about some varieties that are, you need to look at the day lengths to see what will work in our climate because we have a little over 100 growing days. So looking at anything that you're wanting to grow that they can fit that that climate and that in that day length so what are the growing days from when to when typically we go about the third week in may to about the third week in september is our typical growing time um but you know that varies every year some you know the last few years certainly we've gone into october before we've even had a light frost 
So. So do we have any predictions as to at the what our, is our spring is going to arrive early or later? Is that just up up to Mr. Weather? That's up to Mr. Weather. <laughs> yeah. Never make any predictions at this point in the in the season. All right. Oh, we're, we're up against another break. We'd love to have some phone calls because that's why uh, Dr. Peter Kolb and Sandy Perrin are here just to answer your questions about about your garden, about your trees, about your shrubs, about whatever it is that has anything to do with greenery or being st- trying to stay alive during the winter. 721 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. We're coming right back after this. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources, and Services Administration. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Are you looking for more in this world? Are you ready for something bigger? Then we are looking for you. The big-hearted, the bold, the messy, and the gutsy. The teachers, the growers, the builders, the skilled, the sharers, the change makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go all in and all out. We are volunteers, partners, communities, working together, living together. Bringing our experience, passion, and joy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya. From sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo. We learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff? To go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. 
Okay, welcome back, everybody. 721-1290 is our number. This is uh, kind of gardening and tree day. Dr. Peter Cole joining us here in the studio along with Sandy Perrin. And uh, now, you and I, we were just discussing uh, something that I read about that I was absolutely fascinated by, and that was called, uh, what, what is it called, the Emergency no, Seed it, Vault? It's the Global Seed Repository. Okay, all right. Tell us about that. Where is it? What is it? Well, it's uh, a tunnel and vault that was excavated in the side of a mountain in Svalbard. And Svalbard is above the Arctic Circle. It belongs to Norway. Um, and it's a ar- archipelago uh, that's in the Arctic Ocean. And uh, they created this, uh, oh gosh, many decades ago as a place to store the seeds of valuable plants from around the world. And it's grown into much more than that. Uh, so, so that vault is trying to collect and store um, seed sources from every plant species from around the world. And so you can imagine what a phenomenal task it is. And they already have millions and millions of categorized seeds in there. So the inside of the tunnel is like minus 20. I mean, it's, it, Svalbard is a frozen, frozen island. There's some permanent residents there, but it's a, a frozen island, basically. And, uh, you know, when you go to visit the seed repository, you have to watch out for polar bears, literally. Um, <laughs> But it's a real interesting task because there's one thing about getting the various uh, seeds from plant varieties, but every plant variety has a broad genetic base as well. So now uh, the question is, okay, what? how do we capture all of that genetic diversity that's out there? And it, it's kind of a doomsday vault, you know, end of the world scenario. How are we going to uh, repopulate the earth? Well, you got to have plants. And so this is going to be the source of um all of these rare and, and, and well, common and rare uh, plant species. Who's in charge of this? Norway is. Oh, Norway. Uh, okay. But, I mean, they get global funding, so right. everybody contributes uh, money towards keeping this thing going. And you can't just go into the vault. I mean, it's heavily uh, protected because they don't want anybody going in there and bringing pathogens right. in, in with uh, those seed sources. So there's a real strict protocol, and it's, it's kind of like Fort Knox for <laughs> plant seeds. All right. Well, we do have folks waiting on the line to visit with you. We have three calls already. Uh, let's get Roger on the line. Roger, good morning. You're on with Sandy and Peter. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Uh, I have a sugar maple, and uh, I've noticed I've had more uh, dead branches uh, in the inner canopy coming down every now and then. The uh, leaves look okay, but also on the bowl, I've got uh, uh, kind of like an orange coloration and uh, and uh, I know the tree is uh, between 40 and 50 years old, and I'm just trying to get an idea of uh, if it's stress or how to do, uh, what do I need to do to uh, take care of that tree? Okay, well, sugar maples are adapted for this climate, except that uh, uh, most of the hard maples uh, are adapted to a more humid environment during the summer. So sugar maples do suffer from summer drought stress due to the low humidity that just basically pulls the water out of them faster than their vascular system can resupply it. So drought stress is indicated by the uppermost top crown branches dying back. Um, All trees will uh, shed branches as they get shaded out. Uh, So if the branches are on the interior of the canopy, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, You know, it's good to prune them off, uh, good clean pruning cut close to the stem so that can heal over. Um, Sugar maples are prone to uh, heartwood decay fungi and they will enter through those dead branches on them. 
Um, and, of course, when they get heartwood decay in them, uh, which is very, very prevalent in their native habitat as well, uh, you'll see them split. Um, the color of the bark uh, is usually a pretty poor indicator. A bark is really subject to local microclimatic uh, issues, uh, lichens, things like that growing on them. So as long as they're not oozing any kind of stinky uh, brownish uh, goo coming out of them, which is an indicator of heart rot, um, I wouldn't be too concerned about the color of the bark. Um, the other thing about sugar maples is, especially in the spring, they have very, very sensitive bark. Uh, so they exhibit very rapid inner bark growth that's uh, sensitive to pressure damage. So the biggest problem on sugar maples are lawnmowers dinging them uh, when you're trying to get all that grass around them and they, then they get these uh, uh, decay areas at the base of the stem. So I always tell people with sugar maples, you wanna put a barrier or, or keep your lawnmowers and your weed whackers away from them because they're one of the most sensitive species to uh, pressure damage on the bark. So hope that helps a little bit. Did I help you, Roger? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Roger. Good to talk with you again, sir. Uh, Mark's on the line. Mark, good morning. You're on Talkback with uh, Dr. Peter Kolb and Sandy Perrin. Go ahead, please. Hey, morning, Peter. Quick question. I'm sure you've gone over it before, but uh, I've got some gall rust and some pea pines that I want to cut down, but keep the wood for camp wood um, in the upper rattlesnake, uh, a lot of pine beetles in the area. But my question is, do I need to cover once I split and to dry out that firewood, do I need to totally cover it or can I just cover the top of it to let it air out a little bit better? So when the pine beetles start flying in April, they don't, uh, they don't come decimate the rest of my stuff. Well, if you cut it into small rounds, short rounds and stack it, uh, the important thing is to get it to dry out as quickly as possible. If you cover it entirely, you're going to trap all that humidity inside there. So I would recommend putting a cover on top of it to keep the rain and the snow off of it. Uh, but stack it in a sunny spot or where there's a lot of air movement that will dry it out. And uh, those rounds will not at all be attractive to bark beetles this spring if, if you're doing that work now. Uh, if you cut down green trees Perfect. in April and stack them, they will be uh, very attractive to a variety of bark beetles. Though, again, if you cut the rounds short, and I'm talking uh, two feet or, or less, and stack them, the bark beetles might invade them, but the broods will be unsuccessful as the wood dries out. Perfect. Thank you much. You're All welcome. Right. Thanks for the call. I'll tell you what, we are up against a break, and I want to give Emmett plenty of uh, time to ask his question and get an answer. And we have all of our other phone lines open as well. Dr. Peter Kolb joining us here in the studio this morning, along with Sandy Perrin, talking about trees, plants, shrubs, vegetables. I realize we're in the middle of winter, but hey, that's okay. That's uh, we're, we're looking ahead. So 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. We'll be back right after this. I'm Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. Mostly cloudy as we enter a week of warmer and generally drier weather in the northern Rockies. We'll have occasional chances of snow showers or freezing rain, the first being overnight into early Tuesday. With highs around 40 and lows in the upper 20s, there's little or no accumulation from any of those snow showers expected. Most of Tuesday and Wednesday will be cloudy and dry with another slight chance of showers on Thursday, probably a little sun by Friday. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is the number. Most of our phone lines are open. Uh, joining us here in the studio is uh, Dr. Peter Kolb and Sandy Perrin talking about plants and trees and, and your questions, including this from Emmett. Emmett, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. Thanks for holding. Go ahead, please. 
Oh, thanks for taking my call. Well, you know, last year's garden was a disaster. Well, I didn't really plant much, but I planted some in potted plants because my soil you know, pretty much went bad. I should have got it and tested, but, you know, the testing place was out of state and it cost some money. And I don't know why I didn't get around to it. Maybe I'll do it this year. But should I even um, plant anything in that garden plot that I have? It's kind of a community garden in the back courtyard or even not this year. Just have potted plants or give up on it this year because <clears throat> I didn't like the potted plants. Not much grew in it. It's just... I prefer open soil where I can grow a lot of flowers and vegetables, and my garden used to be wonderful. I don't know how, what happened. We used to have kind of an outdoor kind of uh, hose that just kind of was automated. That's been shut off. I don't, I don't really know what to do. Should I even garden this year, or should I just forget about it if the soil is this bad? I just don't want to go back to plants in pots. It's just not my kind of thing. So what do you think? Ladies and gentlemen, Sandy Perrin. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think definitely is to start early and, and do get your soil tested. Um, you know, one of the one of the labs, I think, is only $13 or $14 to send the test in just for your basic soil test. And that'll give you a very good indication. In most cases, if you haven't added any organic matter in the last few years, uh, nitrogen is a very big component in growing vegetables, and it is so much easier to grow in the ground than it is in containers in, in general. So I would definitely, if you don't feel comfortable with sending out of state, even the, the tests that you get at your local hardware and garden centers that gives you a pretty good idea, you're welcome to bring it into my office, and I can certainly help you out with those results and, and tell you what to add to your soil once you get a soil test done. Yeah, and I, I would add that, you know, you have to think of soil as an organism itself, okay? And you have healthy microbial, microbial communities in the soil, and you have unhealthy microbial uh, communities in the soil. So you really have to uh, grow your soil before you grow any plants into it. And as Sandy mentioned, so in the fall, in the fall there's an abundance of sugar maple and Norway maple leaves. <coughs> Excuse me. They make great compost. So you want to uh, rototill that into your soil. Um, you want to really start a composting bed so you can add that broken down organic matter into your soil that improves the soil water holding capacity and also the nutrient loading that then promotes a healthy microbial community because the microbes will actually work together with plant roots. Uh, and the good ones will help the plant grow. The bad ones will kill the plant. So, uh, you know, to try and get at your question a little bit, should you plant a garden? Well, it all depends on whether or not you have been cultivating your soil or not. And if you want to plant a garden, then start with working, working your soil. You might even want to plant a cover crop on it this summer, uh, like uh, soybeans or something, a nitrogen-fixing plant, and uh, rototill those back into the soil to increase the organic and nutrient loading. So I hope that helps. Okay. Thanks, Emmett. Thanks for the call. All right. So Dave is up next. Dave, good morning. You're on Talk Bag with Peter and Sandy. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, my daughter, who has a little bit of ground, is looking to start an orchard, and she wants to do an orchard of hazelnut trees. Um, we don't know a lot about hazelnut trees, and I've been doing a lot of investigation and stuff. Wondering if you had any any. Uh, help with that sort of thing. I'm not aware of hazelnuts growing well in Montana. I think they're more of a 
mid-latitude, slightly warmer climate species. So they grow in Central Europe, France, uh, Southern Germany, uh, Indiana, places like that. Um, I would suspect that our dry summers and our cold winters would be really hard on hazelnuts. Yeah, there there yeah, are a few shrubs. <clears throat> yeah, there are a few shrub varieties, but I don't think you're going to get a lot of production out of those. From what I've seen, that you get some, but not uh, worthwhile if you're looking for an investment for that land. Yeah, most of the nut orchards are in California for a reason. Um, and you, know, you yeah. might find some over he's, in... He's talking with some people in Washington State that have... Yeah. Right, and they and get a... Eastern Washington. Well, Central Washington, around Yakima, there's also some nut orchards. Right. But they are heavily influenced by Pacifical, Pacific temperatures, so they rarely get colder than zero degrees over there. Uh, so, And they irrigate and fertilize. So uh, nut orchards are pretty tough in Montana. Yeah, Okay. So what kind of orchard should she plant? <laughs> well, we have, <laughs> if it isn't hazelnuts. <laughs> well, clearly the, the bitterroot was famous for apples. You know, and apples are, are pretty hardy varieties. I mean, they grow up in Malta, which if you've been watching the weather, Malta really gets hammered by nasty weather. Um, so that's that's kind of a sure bet. Uh, plums do pretty well. Um, Pears. Pears, sour cherries, so sweet cherries, not so much. Um, there's a reason that the sweet cherry orchards are on the east side of Flathead Lake because the east side is very heavily influenced by the lake effect. Flathead Lake very, very rarely freezes over. And this cold snap, mine uh, hammered the sweet cherry orchards. Uh, every 20, 30 years, they lose about half of their trees to an extreme cold snap. Uh, so uh, sour cherries, plums, and... You have to remember also that it's, it's the extremes that will get you. So you look at these average temperatures and just like, I mean, there's, I know landowners that have beautiful apricot trees uh, in the bitterroot that produce like mad every year. They might've gotten hit this year. And that's what we're concerned about and we're talking about. So every once in a while you get this extreme event that uh, ruins a 30 year investment that you have out there. So depends on uh, how much you wanna gamble with the species that you wanna plant. There's also yeah, Western okay, Aid well, Research. Well, hold, 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 hold on, Dave. Sandy, Sandy wanted to give us some more advice. Go ahead. There's also the Western Aid Research Center down in Corvallis. Those folks would be great to chat with. They've been doing a lot of uh, research and had a lot of different, uh, more in the bush varieties of sour cherries, hascaps, uh, service berries. So there are some other uh, ideas out there if um, you're willing to forego the tree idea. Sure. Um, she just wants to put her land to production, and she loves growing things. Yeah. Well, so. you know, I'll, I'll throw out one other possible possibility, um, both on wood value and crop value, is walnuts may grow in the bitterroot. Okay, You're, we're right on the fringe. So we have black walnuts that uh, have reached some pretty nice sizes here in western Montana. There might be a record black walnut up along the Flathead River uh, near Ravalli. Um, and that, that thing's about three feet in diameter at the stem. Wow. wow. Um, but the question is always uh, varieties that can survive and whether or not the nuts are really palatable or not. You might be able to grow nuts, but they taste awful. So, <laughs> but the thing, with, the thing with walnuts is the, the wood is also very valuable. You know, so you're, if you're looking in the long term um, of both growing a valuable wood and a potential crop uh, like nuts, that might be something worth gambling on. Okay. 
thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks thank for the you call. You bet. Good. And with that, thanks for the call, Dave. By the way, that leaves all of our phone lines open. If you have a question or a comment for for uh, Dr. Peter Kolb or Sandy Perrin, give us a call. That's why they're here, to talk with you folks and share their expertise. And they have a lot of it to share. So give us a call, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. We're coming right back after this. Are you ready to smell? But it's 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. Nick is just taking a call right now. But Sandy, real quick, you're very excited about a special event that's coming up at the plant clinic what's going on well the couple of us are going to go over the really kind of a burst of early spring color is the seattle flower and garden show and if you're able to ever take that in gives you a lot of new ideas what varieties are new on the horizon they have a lot of different landscape beds vendors um and and different all kinds of seminars and trainings to attend so uh we're going to take it in this year to find some new ideas Excellent. See what's going on in there. Any 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 previews or things you've heard about? Or? No, other than okay. they, they keep it all pretty quiet until ah, you get there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, get Joe on the line. Joe, good morning. You're on Talkback with our guests. What's your question, sir? A couple of questions. Uh, one is, uh, I, you know, in terms of uh, a valuable wood species, do you like black locust in Montana? And uh, number two is... Uh, about wine grapes, and I've heard about Marquette. Uh, what about wine grapes? What do you recommend? Okay, let's start with the black locust. Let's start with the black locust. A black locust is a is a wonderful wood. It's a hard wood. It has a deep color. It's fairly heavy, and so when woods have a lot of density to them, they're a little harder to work with and manufacture with. But uh, no, I, I think black locust is a is a wonderful species. It's a little sparse to find. Uh, because it gets hit by black locust borer. There used to be a lot more of them, and they get killed by this uh, um, wood-boring beetle that in, infests them. But there are some beautiful specimens in, in Missoula as well. Um, people kind of shy away from them because they have nasty thorns on them. But otherwise, it's, it's a beautiful wood. It's very dense. It, it has a lot of strength to it. So, uh, you know, it, it's a great wood to work with. Are there, is it a very, very slow-growing tree? Does it take a long time to mature? Not really. Uh, it's very drought-hardy. Uh, can handle alkaline soils, and that's why it used to be planted a lot for conservation purposes. Uh, so, it's, again, it, uh, in the mid-70s, the black locust borer reached outbreak uh, capacity, and Idaho and Montana trees just got hammered by it. And so it still exists, and I actually try to promote it. I think it's a, a good species, as long as we don't have too much of it, that will allow for a pest to build up into epidemic populations. So, but grapes, Sandy. Well, the Marquette is a wine grape. Uh, just depends on where you're at, your location, exposure, what you plan on doing with it. Um, again, at the Corvallis Research Station, if you get onto their website, they have a lot. Of, they've been doing a lot of trials on uh, wines and, and different grapes to the different blendings of those. So that might be. I'm not a great great person. I know for edible varieties, there's. Um, some uh, seedless reds like Swenson's is a real good one. There's, I think, another one, a white called Interlake that are, is a pretty good one. But I'm not, I'm not way up on my grape species. But I know there are some hardy wine grapes that some local growers are certainly using here to make their wines, along with some fruits as well. We had a extension agent up in Kalispell that's now retired that did an awful lot of research on, right. on grapes. And so uh, there, if you look on the Montana Mont Guides, there might be some more information there as well. 
Hers were, I think, more up on on the Flathead Lake area, where the ones down in the Bitterroot uh, probably might be a little more on the hardier end of that research yeah. too. And I've I've delved a little bit with grapes, and I've had bad luck. Um, I bought supposedly one of the hardiest varieties from New England that was guaranteed to grow here, and it freezes back every year. Yeah. So there, that's there's other things. Several years ago, when we had that early cold stamp started. It took back a lot of grapes that had somewhere in an inch, two to three inch diameter trunks right back to the ground. So it's not all, and they're they're very late to emerge. So again, sometimes we see, I know even down in Corvallis, they were saying it was some of the wine grapes, they had a hard time getting them to mature in the fall if, if there was an early frost. Does that help you, Joe? I, I, yeah, thank you very much. I, I spoke with a guy that was doing a little vineyard up on Finley Point one time. He was on the south side of Finley Point, and he said he was growing Pinot Noir on the south side. But he said he you can't do it on the north side of Finley Point. There's kind of a break point there. Yeah, again, the there's weather. very much microclimates out there on Finley Point, so that's a whole different environment than being growing down here. Yeah. Well, thank you. Joe, thanks for the call. We appreciate it, sir. Yeah, that, that this is an example of what you get with these two individuals, ladies and gentlemen, Sandy and Peter. And give us a call. 721-1290 is our number. If you have a question or a comment, I realize it's a little early right now. that The, the ground is frozen and you're not going to be able to plant anything right now. But, hey, it's, it's t- time to dream, time to, time to plan, time to start gathering things together so that uh, when the time comes. Yeah. All right. So uh, now one of the things you want to talk about, Peter, we have about, uh, tell you what, let's take our break right now. When we come back, we'll talk about the old growth initiative because you were, you wanted to share a little bit about that from your perspective. So we're going to come right back. Uh, phone lines are open. If you have a question for, for, for Dr. Peter Cope or Sandy Perrin, give us a call at 721-1290. We're coming back right after this. Back 721-1290 is our number. Dr. Peter Cope and Sandy Perrin both joining us here in the studio this morning. And since we'd like to put our callers first, Tom is waiting. Tom, good morning. You're on with our guests. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've been growing walnuts for the last 15, 18 years. And uh, the English just, they're not going to make it. Uh, but the black walnuts uh, seem to grow pretty good. Uh, I've got them out of an outfit in Indiana, Hensler Nursery. They've always had a real good root uh, system on them. And then there was an outfit that was just west of uh Paradise, I think, and 200. They're gone. Uh, they were originally from uh, Washington someplace, and I got some from there. So uh, you can kind of mix up your the varieties, uh, but if you got two or three hundred years, uh, you can you can you can have a harvest. <laughs> it's, it's not like growing cottonwoods where you can get them next week. So. Uh, just uh, Dave's information on on the nuts, and uh, there are varieties of uh, filberts, hazelnuts, a lot of different varieties that uh, they get cold hardy. Uh, other than that, uh, that that's that's about it. Yeah, uh, walnuts will actually, if you give them water and some fertilizer, will will grow fairly rapidly. Um, you know, so. Uh, Certainly to grow a saw log size stem that has a lot of value to it, you're looking at 80 or more years. But you can actually get a 12 to 16 inch stem in about 20, 30 years with the water and fertilizer. 
Uh, the one thing to remember with walnuts is they're allelopathic, which means they put toxins into the soil that kills other plants. So intercropping with, wal intercropping with walnuts is not something that's going to work if you're thinking of, of multiple crops on, a, on some acreage. But, yeah, no, your feedback is very valuable and appreciated. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate that. Yeah, seven two one twelve ninety is our number, and we already have uh, we have another person on the line, Nick. No, okay, all right, uh, okay. So let we have about uh, exactly whoop coming in now. We have exactly five minutes. Let's talk about this old growth infrastructure or initiative, rather, that you were you were sharing about. Okay, well, you know there are always these uh, bigger conservation efforts and. Conservation is usually viewed as a good thing, but it's become a, a tool um, to also do some things that might not be good that meet certain specific objectives. Uh, so uh, what's called Executive Order 14072 requires that the U.S. Departments of Agriculture, Forest Service, and Department of Interior Bureau of Land Management um, coordinate uh, conservation and uh, wildfire risk reduction activities uh, geared specifically at what is called mature and old growth forests on federal lands, okay? And there's only about 300 definitions of old growth. Uh, uh, in the broader sense, it means big old trees, okay? And we have big old trees that occur in patches uh, across the mountains of Montana, um, the Gerard Larch Grove up at Cedar Lake would be one. Ross's uh, Ross Cedar Grove uh, near Bull Lake is another one. And, of course, you know, we see big old ponderosa pines in a lot of places along the valley bottoms and on the mountainsides. But uh, we also have to think about the ecology of forests here where we really have two cohorts of tree species. We have what we call pioneer tree species that can colonize burned over areas, can handle full sunlight, summer drought, all of that. That would be ponderosa pine, larch, lodgepole pine. And we have the shade tolerant, uh, climax species. Climax is refers that if you leave them alone, they theoretically will persist forever because they're shade tolerant and they can regenerate underneath themselves. The problem with the shade tolerant ones is they're susceptible to insects, root disease, and they really don't have such great longevity because they grow too dense. Because they can grow in the shade, you get forests that are very dense, that then get drought stressed, have all sorts of insect pests, and then they burn wildfires. So to define and map areas based on the age of trees uh, totally takes out of account the ecology and the cyclical process of these forests. And so right now, they've done an inventory of their definition of old growth and mature forests across, Mon uh, across the United States. And that accounts for about half of all federal forest lands. Okay. Wow. Yes. And so in Montana, uh, think about that. Okay. So the foresters, federal owners are the largest forest landowner in Montana, uh, owning about 67 to 70% of the forested land in Montana. And, you know, we've had the wilderness and the roadless battles and all of that. And through all of that, you know, we defined areas that are well-suited for wilderness. Uh, and we have defined other areas that are well-suited for growing timber um, as one of uh, multiple, multiple uses uh, for that forested land. So there's roads, there's access to them. And the goal is to have sustainable forests on there. So trees that are growing well, okay? Um, and so to define an area just because it has older trees on it 
And of course, the next step is then to protect those areas from any kind of of, uh, manipulation. So human manipulation. So no thinning, no harvesting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Human's bad. Right. And so, you know, on the bigger scale, there is like the 30-30 initiative that by 2030, 30% of all forests globally will be protected from any kind of harvesting or management, which is followed by the 50-50 initiative. By 2050, the goal is that 50% of all forests worldwide will be devoid of human activity. Okay, so these are some of the, what I would call more nefarious goals that are under the umbrella of conservation. And, you know, conservation means to keep processes intact. So the thinning activities that we do, um, really one of the things that we really need to get back to in the scientific literature is backing this up more and more is to create the patchiness of our forests where we have patches of young trees, patches of old trees, uh, and in those patches we have different tree species. So a mixture of the ponderosa pine and the larch and the lodgeable pine and the dug fir and grand fir and and cedar. Um, And really you can leave it up to nature to do that. And as we've seen, nature paints with a very, very, very broad brush. And so look at Lolo Peak and you'll see that it's a lot of it burned and we lost a big chunk of one of the biggest old growth stands of subalpine larch due to fire up in there. Or we can do it through management where we're planning where we do our activities. And this initiative takes management out of the picture. We're going to come right back after the top of the hour. And Kate is waiting to visit with both of you right after this quick. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is hour number two of the Monday edition of Talk Back, brought to you this morning by Harrington Surgical Supply, where appointments are preferred for mastectomy fittings and custom compressions. And walk-ins are always welcome. Also brought to you by Y West Storage out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. Give them a call, 406-510-0590, because at Y West, they're making room for you. Phillips Janitorial, residential and commercial cleaning, and uh, no job too big or small, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. 406-260-6617, and buy Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get in the winter, uh, yeah, they'll make sure your rig will start every time with help from Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and service at Palmer and West Broadway. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, welcome back. It's hour number two underway of uh, TalkBack, and uh, we are thrilled to have with us Dr. Peter Kolb with MSU Extension and the University of Montana School of Forestry, and Sandy Perrin with the Plant Clinic here in Missoula, Missoula County Extension. And uh, Kate has been waiting all the way through the break uh, very patiently. Kate, thank you for holding, ma'am. You're on with our guests. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. I have two um, dogwood shrubs, and every summer they get gnats all over them, and the leaves get sticky. So the only thing that helps is the deer quit eating them. Yeah, you probably have aphids on them. They're very prone. The aphids come out really early, um, just as the buds are starting to swell and break. So um, certainly there are several routes to go. You could... Um, spray a dormant oil at bud swell, which is usually somewhere late March, early April. Um, that would help suffocate any of the overwintering eggs. 
Also, you could use a soil systemic that、um, you could apply that very early, soon as the ground thaws.、Um, another thought would also be releasing some beneficial insects、uh, during the season to help control that. But they are just always a magnet for aphids, typically, the red twig dogwood. All right. These are yellow stem also that are affected. Yeah.、Uh, they will be affected as well. They're all in the same species line. Yep. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Thanks as much for the call, Kate. Appreciate that. And this is Mr. Wingnut, who is on the line right now. Mr. Nut is perfect because we've been talking about walnuts and things like that. So <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, sir. What's on your mind? I, I actually have a bunch of、uh, black walnut slabs that came off my grandparents' farm in, in Nebraska. But the reason I called today is, is my typical、uh, MO is to get produce from the Hutterites for my canning needs. The last year I tried the kiddie pools and you know, limited success. Peas did well, the peppers did okay, and the zucchinis did well. But overall, it wasn't a, a great success. So I, I thought I'd、um, seek some recommendations on、uh, methods to use and crops that might do okay in my kiddie pool garden. Thank you. <laughs> okay, hold, hold on before you go. A kiddie pool, are you、sure. talking about the thing you get you just, you just cut holes in it, or how, how does that work? Well, they're, they're, they're about three feet in diameter. Right. And then you、uh, drill some holes in the bottom for drainage and you,、right. you know, fill it up with、uh, a you know, selection of soil、uh, and organic and whatnot matter、uh, and some、uh, perlite,、uh, so, or vermiculite. Um, so that's basically what a kiddie pool garden, in my version, is. Well, you could be because、um, you want to pick varieties also that can grow in possibly shallower containers. So that don't like getting, especially in the heat of the summer, that's a, a, a hot, warm site. So I mean, early on, you could grow things like lettuce and radishes, but even. Peas and things later on won't do very good. It's just too hot, and those, there's just not enough soil matter plastic, to, keep it, right? Right, right. to keep it cool. So,、um, adding some good organic matter, of course, does help that water holding capacity, making sure you also you're probably watering a lot more than you would in the ground. So, making sure you have adequate nutrients available. You might think to do a liquid feed of fertilizer, whether it's Miracle Grow or Peters or Jacks or whatever. Um, that, that's also critical. But things that are a fast crop that are shallow rooted. And so that's typically mostly your, your things that are like your cool season crops, like your greens、uh, products like that. Anything that like potatoes or carrots that need a little bit more depth probably won't work as well. You might want to graduate into one of those actual garden. Boxes that have like maybe 12 to 18 inches of soil depth.、Uh, I will say my beets were a complete wash. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, unfortunately. Any yeah, root crops in those just don't, it's just too hot for them.、Uh, peppers possibly would do fairly well. Tomatoes possibly, as long as they got enough moisture and nutrients. The, the other question I have is, is I kept this all under like a 10 foot、um, carport type、um, awning system, you know, to reduce the, the heat and whatnot. And, and、um, 
can kind of control it when it rains hard. You know, I could. It that didn't happen. Just me you know, gently watering them a couple times a day. Um, any thoughts on the the overshading? Well, I wouldn't want to overshade it. Um, did they, you know, definitely want a good six to eight hours of direct sunlight. Um, you can put up different types of screening to help compensate from some of that that you could possibly cover with a light uh, shade cloth or what they call reme, which is um, a light woven cloth that will help protect them and, and alleviate a little bit of that hot sun. But it's something that you have to take on and off as the season progresses. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, th thanks for the call. At perfect timing because we're up against our first break and all the phone lines are open. You have a question for uh, Sandy Parrott and Dr. Peter Kolb. They're here for another 50 minutes to answer your questions about lawns and gardens and, and uh, trees and shrubs and you name it. Uh, the number is, again, 721-1290. We'll be back right after this. In Missoula, I'm Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. Mostly cloudy as we enter a week of warmer and generally drier weather in the northern Rockies. We'll have occasional chances of snow showers or freezing rain, the first being overnight into early Tuesday. With highs around 40 and lows in the upper 20s, there's little or no accumulation from any of those snow showers expected. Most of Tuesday and Wednesday will be cloudy and dry with another slight chance of showers on Thursday, probably a little sun by Friday. Okay, we're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Joe is waiting on the line to visit with you. Sandy and Peter, go ahead, Joe. What's on your mind? Thank you. Uh, in the past, you've made some very interesting uh, comments and uh, observations about carbon uh, in the environment. And uh, I would like to hear if, or know if you have any updates on you know what's going on with that i don't know if the uh economic forum in davos switzerland had any impact on you know the environmental aspects of uh i know you burn wood and and another comment um i've always thought that a great time to be burning your fields or your irrigation ditch is probably january when it's dry and there's some snow on the ground but uh, I know I don't get much traction on that one, but because of the air quality, I'm sure. Anyway, any comments there? I'd be interested well, in. Yeah, it's a great question. And as you alluded to, it's a very complicated question. Um, from what I've read on the Davos conference, um, it's a lot of politics and not much substance from what I've seen and read. I, I like the little uh, ceremony where, where the gal kind of uh, spit on the, the guys as she went past. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, dramatically made up lady, obviously some sort of a, a priest or whatever, and she was doing just, and, and they're all going, "Oh, this is such an honor!" <laughs> and I'm going, "What in the world is this all about?" You'll have to look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I was actually just writing an article a little bit about uh, the forest restoration and resilience and things like that. And if you look at um, <clears throat> a follow politics in the academic community, about every 20 to 30 years, both like to reinvent themselves with new catchphrases and terminology. Uh, so, you know, we used to talk about uh, uh, sustainability when it comes to forests and things like that. Now it's about restoration and resilience, uh, which, in, you know, resilience basically means that uh, disturbance can affect it, but it will bounce back from that. 
and every every ecosystem is unique that way. Um, perhaps the most positive thing, in my opinion, that's come out of the Davos is the recognition that forests are a tremendous carbon sink, and they are probably one of the more efficient mechanisms by which atmospheric carbon can be absorbed and turned into a solid form of carbon that doesn't uh, potentially affect the climate. The downside of that is, of course, all trees die eventually, and they decompose, whether it's uh, through thermal combustion as in fire or a slower process of decomposition by fungi and, and insects, et, et cetera. Um, now, the downside of all of that is there's also a trend um, within all of these policies is to look back historically. And I don't know what time frame you want to use in the United States. It's usually pre-European, so 200 years ago. And view the forests 200 years ago as the ideal. Um, and that is, that is very contrary to really the science and the processes because all forests cycle. And they cycle based on climatic fluctuations and variability. And in the last 10,000 years, and I know I've talked a lot about this, we've seen massive uh, temperature and climatic fluctuations. So the forests on Montana have gone through many, many changes. Uh, Douglas fir, our most common species, didn't appear in a lot of places until 2,000 years ago. So to take a snapshot in time uh, and say, oh, pre-industrial forests, that's what we wanna see. And the notion that if we just leave them alone, they will do their job and they will sequester the most amount of carbon uh, is unadulterated bullshit, um, if I may use that term. Um, you know, these, these forests are complex biological processes, you know, that ebb and flow based on temperature and moisture, uh, sunlight, and a whole lot of other activities. And uh, so then this goes back to the old growth uh, uh, theory that old growth trees sequester and hold more carbon than other trees. Younger trees actually sequester carbon at the fastest rate because they have what's called juvenile growth. And that's what forest management is based on, is to capitalize on that first 100 years of rapid growth. And so uh, a forest has a given amount of carbon that it can store. And yeah, if, you, if it has a tree species that can live for 400 to 500 years and you let them get that big, that, that is storing a lot of carbon. Alternatively, you can take that wood fiber and you can store it in other means. Uh, buildings that are designed to last several hundred years. I mean, and one of my chief complaints in the United States is we build houses that are actually designed to last 30 years. You know, uh, we, you know I've led several tours to Europe where the houses, uh, many houses we go into are 300 years old. We went to a forestry office in Thuringia where the beams and the, the, the building had been built 900 years ago wow. and is still standing and still utilized. So we have to get smarter about utilizing wood in long lasting carbon storage tactics and techniques. And we have to be smart about our forests that yes, there are old growth stands that we wanna protect and we wanna let trees get big. And there are productive forests where we want to grow the trees longer than 100 years uh, to where they make ideal two-by-fours and, and maybe grow them for 300 years. So that needs to be part of the forest planning process. But to eliminate uh, the management or the, the planning and the thoughtfulness that goes into landscape management of forests and just say, oh, nature knows best is putting your head in the sand. Uh, because when we lived on the whims of nature, uh, we were tribal entities and we didn't do all that well. Um, we're doing so darn well right now that we're forgetting 
really what our success stories are and that we do plan ahead. And so, you know, that's kind of a nebulous philosophical answer to your question. But, um, you know, we, we can't work off of fantasy. We have to work of, on actual calculations of where does the carbon go? How long does it last? So I hope that sort of answers your question. In other question. words, there, there's actual science involved here. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting more hesitant to use the word science because, you know, there, there's science methodology that is used to support agendas. Okay. And there's science methodology that is used for discovery and knowledge. And we, in the university system especially, have gotten really corrupted by the funding that comes to us and that we do the research to meet the needs of the funding, which is agenda-driven, rather than doing research that uh, increases the entire body of knowledge uh, that we have used to improve our lives. And, you know, we, we need some reform in that arena as well. All right, Joe, thanks for the call. With that, we're up against the break. 721-1290 is our number. Jeff is waiting to visit with you. Uh, again, here in the studio, we have Dr. Peter Kolb, and we have Sandy Perrin, and uh, we have about uh, 40 minutes left in our time together. So if you have a question or comment about the upcoming spring, the summer, things to expect, how we can... Uh, best plan our gardens and uh, and our landscaping give us a call at 721-1290 we'll be right back we're looking for someone to work hey welcome back everybody good to have you along it's a uh, talk back joining us here in the studio is dr peter kolb uh, msu extension and uh, university of montana school of forestry in sandy perrin with the plant clinic with missoula county extension and uh jeff is waiting on the line to have a question or a comment jeff good morning thanks for your patience go ahead sir Yes, I'm a mushroom fan, and um, in the summertime, uh, mushrooms come up on the lawn, and I call them pink bottoms. And um, I was told, and I've eaten them before, um, that they're an agaricus, which is the same type of mushroom you buy in the store, the white mushrooms or whatever. Is there any truth to that? And are the pink bottoms agaricus, and they're good to eat? Plus, I have another really quick question after Okay, that. Sandy, Peter, go ahead. Well, mushrooms you got to be really, really careful with, and you got to know what you're doing. So yeah. the ones the ones you're talking about yeah. are also referred to as inky caps. Uh, they break down fairly quickly. Um, no, 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 nope. they're, they're 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 pink bottoms. They look like they're regular. They've got the gills and everything. Right. Um, they have a pink under the gills are pink, and they look just exactly like a store bought mushroom, but they got a really vivid pink underneath. Well, guild and that's the way I kind of identify them. Right. Well, guild mushrooms. Uh, there are some that are fairly toxic. Um, there are some right. that are that are slightly toxic. Uh, I'm I'm not a mycologist. I'm not a mushroom expert. Um, so I I would just be really careful. I mean, so for example, um, the situation that happened in Bozeman, where the restaurant served up morels that uh, um, uh, caused a lot of dis. Well, you know, morels are usually yeah. considered a, a prime eating mushroom, but when they're right. when they're raw, uh, and this was the thing, as they weren't f fully cooked, when they're raw, they do have yeah. some toxins that affect some people, um, and so um, I I personally can't give you a specific answer on the mushroom you're talking about uh, because that's out of my arena of expertise. I'm I'm just always really cautious when it comes to uh, mushrooms that I eat. What the best thing would be to okay, do to make cool. sure we find out what variety, because there are so many species that come up. 
How can um, we how can we find out? So if you take some really good pictures of the top and bottom and measure them and tell me what kind of clusters they're in, I can send that off to a mycelialogist at MSU and usually get a pretty good idea of just over pictures. Also would be bringing some very fresh samples into me at the beginning of the week that I can send them off to her as well. Yeah, these things are really obvious to look at. I mean, you turn them over and they're, the bottom is pink on them. I mean, the gills are. Yeah, it and might be what's called a meadow was, mushroom, but we, we, I, yeah, I, I, never, I never ID anything unless I get a backup because I'm not that good either. Okay, cool. Um, thank you. And I, I used to pick mushrooms and uh, I used to sell them when I was living on the coast. And a lot of the, um, I guess you call it the biome, was the same here. For the amount of rain and trees and stuff. And we used to pick a mushroom called a masataki. And I was wondering, um, I've never heard of masatakis being found in Montana. It, would it be a fool's errand to look for those? You know, that again would be a really good question for, there's a group called the Western Montana Myceliology uh, Group okay. Association. Or again, send me that, that question and I'll forward that on to the myceliologist down in Bozeman. She's very, very knowledgeable. And, you know, yeah, I'll get a Western Oregon and Washington are, are quite different environments in here. So soil acidity is different. Yeah, you're uh, in Northern California, you know, um, right. forest basically, same elevation, right, moisture but, and all that. Yeah, yeah. They, they have different summer humidities and... The plants themselves uh, will affect uh, soil uh, nutrient loading and uh, and acidity and things like that. Uh, so you know they're they're very complex uh, fungal associations out in different forest types. And exactly. So yeah. you know, just like I have gotten oh. gotten questions about growing shiitake mushrooms, and those really grow best on oak stems and hardwood stems, not on conifer stems. So there, there's yeah. a lot of lot of variability. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And have a great day and keep doing what you're doing. Jeff, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Yeah, seven two one twelve ninety is our number. This is a, a really good example of of uh, why Sandy and Peter are here. People are people have genuine questions. They're they're concerned. They're curious. They they, they want to find out things. Should I eat this? Should I not eat this? <laughs> you know. Uh, and and then when it comes to gardening, we're 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 in the middle of January right now. So Sandy, what should we be doing? Uh, obviously, looking at catalogs, talking with people. Uh, are, are there support groups where people can get together and just kind of share about these things and so that when the time does come we know what to do and when yeah so there's certainly a lot of your garden centers are starting to gear up and getting their seed racks in um find what do you like what do you want to eat don't grow things that you know if you're not a lettuce fan that's one of the easiest things to grow but it may not be what you know you want to eat a ton of lettuce um, so get that plan down look again we have some great guides at the office that talk about varieties that uh within um, the different species of lettuce and bees and peens that are, you know, shorter days that do well here, you know, get that garden site figured out, you know, once the things start to thaw is incorporating some, typically some organic matter and doing a soil test. One of the, one of the uh, I think the, the uh, miscalculations that people do about a garden is that they assume this garden is going to consume my entire life. I'm going to have to spend every waking minute looking over this thing, protecting it. That. So that, that's not necessarily true. No, not necessarily. It certainly depends on your crops. You could plant garlic or potatoes or things that are root crops that really don't have a lot of 
constant need, but unpicking. Whereas things like more like beans and peas and radishes, things that have a very defined life that you have to pick them at a certain time to get a get and, a good quality. And, and to watch over them a little bit, right? I mean, right. Just, yeah. Right. yeah. Look, looking for, you also have to always pay attention to if you have any disease and insect issues that could def- definitely take out that crop. Well, the thing is to plan your garden, actually map it out. So making sure that you're not over planting, that you're crowding things so they will get disease issues with that. So. Is, is, is there one type of, of, of vegetable or plant or, or whatever that uh, can be damaging to one that might be right next door? No, 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 but it might take it over. Like my squash, like the really trail and <laughs> pumpkins start climbing up over the fence and climbing up over the bean structures. So um, that's where the planning really map out your garden. So things, you know, look at its mature size, what it, what it's going to, what kind of room do they tell you that how far apart you need to plant those? Pushy little burgers, aren't they? They are. <laughs> We're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. We have uh, Jeff and Emma both waiting to visit with you. We're coming right back with more of Talk Back right after this. And we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Our guests here in the studio, Dr. Peter Kolb and Sandy Perrin. And we have Jeff and Emma both waiting to visit with you. So, Jeff, good morning. You are on Talkback, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning. And really enjoyed your colorful reference to bovine scat there earlier, doctor. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. What's on your mind? Uh you know, I, I, what, what really took me is your reference that uh, somehow, whether uh, 150 to 200 years ago was perfect, the climate was perfect, and that has to be what we shoot for. Um, there's no evidence for that. And uh, a compatriot of yours, Dr. Robert Toki Jr. from the University of Colorado in Boulder, CU Boulder, um, puts out periodic uh, newsletters. And... Uh, about a month ago, he put out one that estimated decadal deaths due to weather and climate for four different decades, the 1870s, the 1920s, the 1970s, and the 2020s. Granted, we're not through the 2020s yet, but it was it's an estimate. All these are very rough orders of magnitude because records were really good. But during the 1870s, an estimated 50 million people died due to uh, weather and climate extremes. And in the 2020s, well, in the 1970s, an estimated 500,000, so 1% of the people who died in the 1870s died 100 years later, and it's estimated to be only 50,000 deaths during this decade. So, uh, and when you couple that with the fact that it, when you, you, you talked earlier about Germany and, ma- and forest management and sequestration, when you look at Germany and the fact that since they had the uh, folly of closing down their nuclear plants, they are now burning more lignite and wood than ever before in their history. I mean, this is even during medieval times. So, you know, it, it, there is no magic about 150 to 200 years ago. We don't know what what was better, what's worse. And, and it just frustrates me when people say, that they know when nobody knows. Well, Jeff, thanks. You know, as history is my kind of second passion, um, you know, we we forget how hard life used to be. And, you know, my brother and I were just talking about uh, things today. And when I look at my own family history, um, my brother and I are the first generation that didn't have to go to a war. 
uh, were also the first generation that didn't know starvation. And uh, I look at all my ancestry, usually about half of my relatives died at young ages due to diphtheria and typhoid and uh, all of these types of things. And the fact that we've been so successful in uh, curbing hunger and, and things like that also is our undoing because our population is growing at a phenomenal rate. You know, so we really need to teach history a little bit better, I think, and not fantasize history, but, you know, how hard, how hard life was. I mean, I was just reading uh, a biography of uh, Jim Bridger, and uh, he gave an estimate in the 19, or 1830s when the American Fur Trading Company, all that was going on, uh, from their camp of, main camp of 700 trappers and traders, etc., they were losing 10 people a month to grizzly bears and conflicts and exposure and all of those types of things. Uh, so, you know, the good old days were really not all that great when you think about it. And uh, so trying to reverse history to the good old days, I think, is a, is a little bit of a folly. So I, I appreciate your comments and, and your uh, thoughtful insights. Okay, Jeff, th- any comments, Sandy? Okay, uh, so let's get uh, Emma up next. Emma, good morning. You're on with Peter and Sandy. Go ahead, please. Uh, yeah, good morning. Um, I have a couple gardening questions. Um, I have about four peony plants, and when I see them popping up in the spring, I fertilize them, and then I don't fertilize them for the rest of the season. Um, do I need to fertilize them? more often well it certainly depends on what you're fertilizing with um usually recommend like a slow release granular fertilizer if you're just doing a liquid feed then you would want to do it a little more often it's a a slow release yeah so that's that's plenty adequate certainly okay great and then my other question is um i have some irises and um every year i get really nice plants but i don't get a bloom (laughs) well iris iris tubers or roots as you want whichever you want to call them want to be very shallow they'd only want like maybe an inch or so of soil covering them so they they grow really um pretty much on the surface they don't and they also don't like a lot of water so um you know keeping in an area that doesn't stay too wet if they've been there quite a while you probably need to divide them they also when they get crowded they do not bloom well so if they've been in the ground probably five plus years then you want to dig that all up and divide them okay thank you all right thanks for the call there you go Seven two one twelve ninety is our number we also have a, a question uh, nick go ahead uh yeah a caller wanted to know you said he got a packet of seeds last year and wanted to know if uh, they'd be good to use this year more than likely, they, they will be. Um, there certainly is within varieties of seeds some that don't germinate quite as well the next year. I know things like uh, onions typically don't, um, usually maybe two years on that seed, but it's that's limited. Other seeds can last four to five years like beans and peas. So, But more than likely, just one year that should be fine. Okay. Keep All it right. in a cool, dark area uh, in storage as well, not just leaving them out in any uh, air and like in your living room table. So right, that's right, the other part. We're going to come right back. Uh, we have Emmett uh, with another question. And uh, th- we have several other phone lines open for Dr. Peter Kolb and Sandy Perrin. If you have a question about plants, if you have a question about trees, 
give us a call. We'd love to, to, to get those questions answered for you. We're going to come right back after this time out. Are you looking for more in this world? Are you ready for something bigger? Then we are looking for you. The big-hearted, the bold, the messy and the gutsy. The teachers, the growers, the builders. The skilled, the sharers, the change makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go all in and all out. We are volunteers, partners, communities, working together, living together. Bringing our experience, passion, and joy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya. From sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo. We learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff? To go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. Welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Or, of course, we always like to mention the KGVO app. If you haven't downloaded that yet, I think everybody has. But if you haven't, if you're new to Missoula, just go to the App Store, download the KGVO app. You can listen uh, all, all over the world anytime, absolutely free. And you can also send questions to us. You can win contests, all sorts of good things. But Emmett is uh, back. Let's get Emmett. Uh, Emmett, you're on with our guests again. Go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks. Sorry to call back, but I was thinking of a follow-up question about my soil. Some other questions that occurred to me. A neighbor who moved away a few years ago planted this huge spearmint bush, which has taken over practically half of the backyard, uh, back courtyard, you know, planting area, because we have a community, you know, planting area. And I wonder if that huge spearmint bush, and we've tried to knock it down, suppress it, hasn't sucked up a lot of the nutrients in the soil and made the soil just terrible. I don't even like spearmint, and this monster is a, just keeps, it must be a perennial, keeps getting back, growing back year after year like a monster spearmint bush that we can't get rid of. One, how can we get rid of it? And two, you know, is it sucking up the nutrients? Also, if you could give some contact information, at the end of the program, I would like to get in contact with you. Uh, the idea of fertilizer, I think that's or compost. That's a great idea. I've been thinking about going to Pink Grizzly or somewhere and, somewhere and getting some compost to put in the, my soil and maybe try it again. But if you could answer those questions, I think that'd be great because that that kind of came to my my mind about that awful experiment bush and how to get. I don't know how to get rid of it. Or All right. If you could answer these questions, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. I, Emmett, thanks for the call. Go ahead, Sandy. Yeah, so um, spearmint is a perennial. It is in the mint family. They are rhizominous, which means that they do spread a lot. So if I were to plant one, I would probably plant some sort of an edging or plant it in a container and sink it in there. But trying to get rid of it, you can certainly dig it out. I mean, yes, it's pulling nutrients and water because it loves them. Um, but it, it's not going to deplete the whole garden. It's just the area around it, really. Um, so cutting that back, digging it out is probably the best method. Also, you could cover it with uh, like a heavy tarp or black plastic and smother it. It would take probably about a season to get rid of it. Um, if you want, like I said, digging it up is probably your best choice in the garden. Now, is it is it a, is a deep-rooted plant or is it... It's not overly deep. It's not like some of the ones that are that go way to China. No, <laughs> I would say it's probably about a foot deep. So to me, it's uh, compared to a lot of other garden thugs. 
It's it's re- really pretty minimal. A garden thug. I a like that. Garden thug. Now, now, how does one become a garden thug? When you make me mad and you won't die or you won't go away, you just keep coming back, you spread beyond control, you make I, me do a lot more work. I think I touched a nerve there. <laughs> a garden thug. That, 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 that should be a really great name for a band. <laughs> and now, live on stage, garden thugs. Anyway. Sorry. Uh, Lisa is back. Lisa, good morning. You're on there looking at what is, who is well, this good guy? Good morning. Lisa, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Cole, uh, since you are having some kind of connection with Germany yet, I wanted to tell you when I left, lived right after the war along the Main River, northern part of Bavaria, and in the spring, uh, the lily of the valleys were. Uh, the forest were just covered underneath with the lily of the valleys. And my sister and I would go out, but we had hard times, you know, money was very scarce. And so we went out there and picked the lily of the valleys, made bouquets, and the outside we put green leaves around, and then we stood at the highway and would sell them. So I have now discovered in my yard, I have lily of the valley. And I let them spread, and I'm partial to this plant because it brings memories back. And so the spring or summer, I thought, well, I'm going to have enough to pick some this time. And you know that there was not one that had even a hint of a fragrance. Interesting. And the only thing I, my own intuition would tell me, you know, the, 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 the um, flowers that grew, I mean by the thousands under those trees, the trees were mostly beech and oak. And maybe that had something to do with it. Well, they're deciduous, so early uh, sprouting plants like Lily of the Valley will do very well under deciduous uh, canopies because they get that yeah. early spring sunlight, whereas under con- yeah. coniferous forest, they don't. Well, anyhow, it, I, I couldn't figure that out. and I mean, I was really disappointed, to be quite honest. <laughs> I'd expected to have this nice fragrance in my house. Now, now Lisa, and- Lisa, Lisa, this is Peter. I got a question for you. I have never smelled a lily of the valley. Can you describe the aroma? I can only describe it if you would go, for example, into a store where they sell, you know, different kinds of fragrances. You might find something there. I cannot describe it, but it is a, just a wonderful, not necessarily fresh. It's a little bit on the heavy side. It's just a wonderful fragrance. And so that's all I can say. I can't, can't really put my my thumb on exactly what it would be like. But I have seen where they sell these little bottles, you know, with um, perfume, and it says Lily of the Valley, and it does smell like that. Wow. Well, Lisa, thanks for the call. Uh, Peter, go ahead. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of genetic variability. I mean, that's think of all the different apple varieties we have and the different flavors and tastes. So uh, a couple thoughts um, is that one is the lily of the valley growing in your yard might be a slightly different uh, genetic strain than what you experienced in Franconia or uh, northern Bavaria. Um, And also uh, soil nutrition can impact um, 
uh, secondary metabolites that you know produce the fragrance and, and things like that. So, I mean, just like grapes from volcanic soils will have different flavors and than uh, grapes from heavy organic uh, sandy soils, etc. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of variability in plants, but uh, thank you for sharing that as uh, uh, very interesting. Does that bring back some good memories for you as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the forests in Germany uh, historically have been absolutely beautiful. I mean, and the first time I went over there in 1980 to spend some time, I went for a hike and uh, all the German foresters said, so how do you like our friendly forests? Uh. Because they were uh, very, you know, very, very nice. Uh, it's a different ecosystem and it's all what your expectations are. And and what are what what are the ways that they they manage their forests as opposed to what we are are, are not doing here? Well, it's really apples and oranges because forests in Germany have been impacted for the last seven thousand years by people. You know, so you can think that uh, the forests in Germany have all been completely erased and then grown back. Uh, and this is why the first forestry texts and forestry sciences were developed in Germany to provide sustainable forest resources out there. So, you know, you're dealing with a, a heavily human impacted forest ecosystem in Europe, which is still beautiful. I mean, I very much like hiking in German forests, etc. cetera. Um, but they're different than Montana forests that I also like. And I, you know, for my taste, I prefer. So, and we're dealing with mostly original forest here. I mean, harvesting and management only impacted maybe 30% of our forests. Uh, the rest are all pretty much original what nature has served up. Okay, well, we're going to come right back. Uh, we have uh, Joe and Nick is on the phone with somebody else with more questions. This is great. We're coming right down to only about eight minutes left. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Peter Kolb or Sandy Perrin, get them in now. It's 721-1290. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Pastor. Hey, welcome back to the, uh, we've renamed the show The Garden Thugs. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, Sandy Parrott here in the studio with us, along with Dr. Peter Cobe. Stewart is waiting to visit with us. Stewart, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have both black and English walnuts, and uh, I find that the black walnuts almost aren't worth it. We get a ton of them every year. But the English walnuts the last couple of years haven't produced at all, and they haven't had any attention, you know, other than water. So I'm just wondering where would be a good place to start. Well, usually fruit production is related to spring weather, whether or not the flowers and the pollen gets frozen or not. Um, that would be my best guess. Um, you know, poor fruit production or nut production is uh, usually related to uh, soil nu nutrition and water uh, content. But typically when we have poor apple or fruit production years, it's because we had a late frost that uh, impacted uh, the, the pollination process. Okay, I suppose that's my problem. And I, I, I water. I, I have free uh, water, so I water a lot. But I, they, you know, they they have all kinds of undergrowth. The English walnuts, all kinds of new growth and old growth. They haven't been cleaned up for years. My mom's place, and I guess would I miss those walnuts? <laughs> right, and you know, all of the walnuts are very susceptible to late frosts. Even the black walnut will get frozen back. Uh, involved with a few experiments and they were doing great and then we had one of those really cold snaps uh, that came in May and it froze them back. Uh, so that's one of the issues with with walnuts as all walnut species. 
Okay. Well, so, good. So, that's, it's not up to me, but I, I could probably be a little more uh, careful with what I do, I suppose. But Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I guess that's the problem. We've always had lots of nuts. Almost always. And in the last two years, there have been no nuts on English. So... Yeah, that would be my best oh, well. guess. I mean, uh, plants do get old and senesce and stop producing uh, as many seeds as well. Um, when you do have a late frost, I mean, what commercial orchards do is they will spray water on everything because that ice covering will actually prevent uh, the flowers from freezing from time to time. So that's another thing is you just go out there with a hose oh, and put a, put a fine water mist on them if we get one of those super cold, cold snaps. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about nuts, we're all looking at each other. <laughs> all right. Uh, Joe is uh, we, Joe is back. Joe, Joe, good morning. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Hello, Joe. Mm, Joe, are you there? Okay. We lost Joe. Anyway. All right. Yeah. Seven, seven to one twelve ninety is under. We have exactly four minutes left. If you have a question or a comment, uh, you give us a call at seven two one twelve ninety. We'll be happy to get you guys on. All right. So let's wrap things up. Uh, uh, how about um, we have exactly five minutes? So uh, two and a half minutes for each of you. So Sandy, go ahead. Well, well ladies first, if you don't okay. mind. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what haven't you talked about that, that you wanted to? I don't know that I had anything okay. I wanted to talk about, All but right. um, just some great information that, you know, as far as uh, things that we're up to at work, we have a lot of different series of classes going on. We have a Cultivate to Cook, which is a monthly class we do on the third Thursday of every month that we uh, take usually some local grown love. Last week, it was lentils and beans. We talked about that industry in Montana, what a large industry it is, and also that you can grow, how you can grow those, some of those, especially your, your dried beans at home. And then we cooked up a couple of great dishes with that, and we're doing that in our new demonstration kitchen. So you can always look on our website to see what other kinds of upcoming classes. We're looking at some botanical journeying, master gardener, some pollinator habitats. Uh, so if you look onto our website of www.missoulaeduplace.org uh, or just Google Missoula County Extension, that'll take you to that website. That'll tell you what we got going on in our classes. And you have a very special retirement coming up, right? Yes, our leader who actually our building is named after, the GW Marks, is actually retiring the 1st of March. He's been with the county for 54 years as an extension agent. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations to him and to all of you. Appreciate it. Dr. Cole, we, got, we have uh, two and a half minutes or go. Well, uh, we have our annual mini college that's coming up uh, the first weekend in March, I believe. Um, look at our webpage, MSU Extension Forestry, and make sure it's Montana, not Mississippi. Um, so, and that's open to anybody who wants to register for it. We typically offer about uh, 12 to 14 classes during the day, of which you can sign up for four of them. Uh, so that that's a big event and a, a lot of different forestry-related topics, uh, including and even beekeeping is going to be one of the topics uh, this year. Uh, so, you know, and that's held on the University of Montana campus in the forestry building. Uh, so that's the big thing. Um, if you have 14 to 18-year-old kids, the Montana Natural Resources Youth Camp is uh, the third week in July every year. So it's never too early to start uh, applying for that, too. We're limited to about 30 kids. So if you got a 14 to 18-year-old that's interested in natural resources, this camp is 
covers soils, wildlife, forestry, range, water, all of those things taught by professionals and uh, gives kids hands-on experience in those disciplines and also, you know, some insight as to what the job market is, what the future is in in those arenas. And it's a fun week. Uh, 99% of the kids want to come back because we do a lot of fun stuff, including uh, rafting, Alberton Gorge, et cetera. So that does sound like fun. And otherwise, you know, there's, uh, as questions come up, shoot, shoot me an email, peter.kolb, K-O-L-B as in boy, at umontana.edu. And uh, don't, don't try to call, though, because you're a busy guy. <laughs> well, all right. I can, I mean, my productivity goes down to 10% if I'm on the phone all day. Exactly. Thank you both for all of your advice. Really appreciate it. We, we always love having you guys here. Thank you. Thank you. You make it a special day. Mr. Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? Uh, we'll have open phones from 8 to 9, and then 9 to 10, we'll have Econ 101 with uh, uh, MEP. All right. Uh, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And class will be in session tomorrow, and uh, we will be giving a test at the end. Anyway, Peter, uh, go ahead. Yeah. We, we always enjoy coming here and spending uh, time with the radio thugs. <laughs> <laughs> And the plant thug, and the garden thugs. So there you go. Thugs everywhere you look. Hey, you get out there and enjoy this day. Uh, uh, please be careful. There still might be some slick spots out there, so uh, please use caution while you're driving. And uh, we will see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, with Ace Sourwine, who was uh, on location this morning. But hopefully he'll be back in the studio tomorrow uh, from 6 to 10 uh, for another edition of Montana Morning. So till then, uh, be safe, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.